you hear me okay at the back? Yeah, it always feels loud down here because the speaker's right there, but sitting at the back, it's not so easy to hear, so I'll try and, try and shout a wee bit. Thanks so much, Kyle, for reading that scripture passage. Um, it's really good to be here again. Um, I have to say, uh, this may be good news for you, but it's bad news for me, which is, uh, this is the last time I'll be with you for quite a long while, actually. Uh, don't celebrate too much, please. That will damage my emotional well-being right now. Uh, I, just with uh, the, the, the way the schedule's working out, and also as a family, we're heading off on holiday for a wee while in a couple of weeks. So uh, I'll really miss being here. And I just, uh, just thinking about that, I just wanted to say, um, Thank you so much for your welcome back over these months to Scott and I. You know, I think it's obviously fair to say that while Harley was here, Scott and I were around Kintour Community Church a lot less, uh, which was right and good, I think, because, you know, Harley was here and and doing a great job, and we still miss him, right? Um, But ever since that has changed, you will have realized that Scott and I have been around here much more. And I have to say, that is no chore for us. I know I can speak for Scott in that as well. absolutely love being here. And of course, what that means is we love you guys. And sadly, I've still not got to know some of you so well yet. But I just have so enjoyed being back among Kintour Community Church. I am just thrilled with what God is doing in this family of faith. Uh, from prayer times to outreach to festival connections to school uniform drives to awesome worship week by week to growing numbers to my to baptisms and new members and I could go on. I mean, it's just so exciting, and I, I just give glory to God, and uh, and I just want you to know it thrills my heart to be part of this church family. And I, I'm gutted that probably for, I think, seven or eight weeks, I probably won't see you guys, uh, at, least on a, at least on a Sunday, but I'll, I'll be keeping in touch. Anyway, there we go. So we are a week on or so from it just now, but I wonder, uh, as you look back on last weekend, how much you engaged with the Platinum Jubilee celebrations. Uh, did anyone, hands up, get right into the platy jubes? Uh, a few hands, Dory Marjorie, get your hand up high because I know, I know you did. I, I certainly know there's a few people in the church who were mad up for the, the platitude. Anyone here? I've heard that phrase. That's, that, that's what the kids are saying, Scott. Come on, get down. You're supposed to be a youth pastor. I know that's the Anyway, I confess, I confess that uh, regrettably, I actually didn't manage to, to keep up with too much of what was going on over the, the celebrations. But I did see uh, this coming 90 second video clip, uh, which was an anecdote from the Queen's former Royal Protection Officer, a guy by the name of Richard Griffin. I suspect many of you will have seen this. It kind of went a little bit viral on social media. Um, and it's, it's about an encounter the Queen and he had when they stopped for a picnic. And we'll pick it up just now. Thanks, Charlie. And normally, on these picnic sites, you you meet nobody. But there was two hikers coming towards us, and the Queen would always stop and say hello. And it was two Americans on a walking holiday. And it was clear from the moment that we first stopped, they hadn't recognized the Queen, which is fine. And the American gentleman was telling the Queen where he came from, where they were going to next, and where they'd been to in Britain. And I could see it coming, and sure enough, he said to Her Majesty, and where do you live? And she said, well, I live in London, but I've got a holiday home just the other side of the hills. <laughs> and he said, well, how often have you been coming up here? Oh, she said, I've been coming up here ever since I was a little girl, so over 80 years. And you could see the clogs thinking. He said, well, if you've been coming up here for 80 years, you must have met the Queen. 
I love and as it. quick as a flash says, well, I haven't, but Dickie meets her regularly. <laughs> <laughs> so the guy said to me, oh, you've met the Queen, what's she like? And because I was with her a long time and I knew I could pull a leg, I said, oh, she can be very cantankerous at times, <laughs> but she's got a lovely sense of humour. Anyway, the next thing I knew, this guy comes around, puts his arm around my shoulder, and before I could see what was happening, he gets his camera, gives it to the Queen, and says, can you take a picture of the two of us? <laughs> anyway, we swapped places, and I took a picture of them with the Queen, and we never let on, and we waved goodbye, and then Her Majesty said to me, I'd love to be a fly on the wall when he shows those photographs to the friends in America, and hopefully someone tells him who I am. Hopefully someone tells him who I am at the end. What a great, I've seen that a lot of times now uh, and I, I never fail to smile when I hear that wonderful story. Here's my question for us. What is it that is so appealing about that clip? Well, I think maybe a number of things, but one of the things it's that we know who the Queen is and we can't believe that these hikers in this story don't know who the Queen is. And as the, the clip continues, the Queen kind of humbly and playfully lets the, the story and the conversation unfold. The sense of astonishment that we have at this situation grows in us. We can't believe what is happening, even to the point of her taking a photo for them. And of course... All the time in the background, we're sort of desperate to know what's going to happen when we find out. I'm still holding out hope that because this went viral, these people who took the, somehow they're going to come forward and we're going to hear what happened when they found out the true story. There's this feeling that we have as we watch that clip that if we had been there, we would make sure that these hikers eventually knew, guys, this is the queen that you are talking to. And I think it's in that desire that we find the, the joy and the, the tension of that clip. Now, uh, if you're visiting here, we're, we're going through John's Gospel. We're almost finished chapter one. <laughs> and uh, that, that scenario is mirrored in, in much of what we come across in this passage today. John is continuing to introduce us to Jesus. So if we've been reading carefully already from verses 1 to 18, we, we know who Jesus is. John has told us so much incredible stuff of who Christ is in the first 18 verses. And we also know that John the Baptist's mission was to let the people of his day know who Jesus was and to prepare the way for Christ. So um, we've already been introduced to John the Baptist. Let's look at verse 6. Of chapter 1, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light, that's Jesus, that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but he came to bear witness about the light. And then if you glance down to verse 15, we can see that we've already heard a little bit of John the Baptist's testimony. And so we read again and again in our verses for today that John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. Unlike those hikers who didn't know the Queen, John the Baptist knows who Jesus is. But swirling around that is the reality that so many people in John's locale do not know 
who Jesus is. They don't yet know the wonderful truth of what Jesus is going to do and who he is. And of course, any astonishment that we might feel as we hear that story and, and the lack of understanding of who the queen was, any astonishment like that should be nothing compared to the tension we might want to feel about this Jesus who is being presented here with so few seeming to understand who he is. And we know that that's going to be an unfolding reality over the chapters of John. Because this is something that's very relevant for us. Because it's tied to the reality of our culture in this day. The world in which we live has largely lost any sense sort of in our culture of of a sort of background understanding of who Christ is. And not only lost any sense of who he is, but certainly lost any sense of esteem and joy in who he is. And yet we know. We know. And Kintour doesn't. And Aberdeenshire doesn't. And in this passage, we have a few pointers as to how we might engage in that reality. How we might live in that place. In the way that John the Baptist speaks and acts, there's a few things that we might ponder as we step forward together in letting people know this is Jesus. Here's who Jesus is. First thing is this. It's not about who we are. We do not need to be at the center of this story. Right? So in, in, in this passage, there's these religious leaders that come and they've obviously they've obviously realized something of the prominence of John the Baptist's ministry. And they want to know, who are you? Who are you and what are you up to? And John's initial answer lets us know what they were really concerned about. So look at verse 20 of John chapter 1. It says, John the Baptist confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. I'm not the Christ. So this word Christ is the similar word, it's the Greek version of the word Messiah. You might have heard these words. And this is an important role that the ancient people of Israel were waiting on and longing for. The Messiah, the the Christ, was the, the chosen, appointed, anointed, sent one of God, who was promised again and again in the Old Testament scriptures, who was going to come and and bring back the the rule and the reign and the restoration of the kingdom of God. And, and, And who this Christ was, was a massively important question. For the, for the people of this day. So uh, one of the commentators that you'll hear me refer to a few times is a guy by the name of Don Carson, New Testament scholar. And listen to what he says. He says, first century Palestine was rife with messianic expectations. Who's, who's, who's the Messiah? When's he coming? Is it you? John the Baptist? John makes clear to them, that's not who I am. Right? So they continue to probe. They want to know, are you Elijah? Are you the, the prophet that Moses spoke of? So in Deuteronomy chapter 18, Moses had made clear that God would raise up, quote, a prophet like me at some point. And they're wondering, is, is that who you are? Are you the one that Moses spoke of? But each time John plainly and clearly lets them know, that's not me. So in verse 22, I don't know about you, but I pick up on a sense of exasperation from them. They're they're like, okay, if you're not these people, they said to him, who are you? 
We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? Come on, John, throw us a bone here. We've got to go and tell our bosses something of who you are. Help us out a little bit. Now, that might have been the moment where John could have dropped in a few impressive aspects as to who he was. You know, if you think about it, up until this point, he's had to be pretty clear. They want to know, are you the Messiah? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you that prophet that Moses spoke of? No. Okay, who are you? Well, (laughs) I'm not those guys. But let me tell you a little of who I am. Um, I'm not the Christ. I'm not Jesus. But, you know, in, in fact... In a little while, Jesus is going to say, of all the men born of women, I'm the most important one. You know, that's what Jesus said about John the Baptist. And, and, and it would have been tempting to just make himself seem a bit of a big deal. Or at least to give a sort of summary of, of his ministry, his unique story, the way that God had called him, what he was going to do and, and surrender and sacrifice for Jesus' sake into the future. But John the Baptist doesn't go near any of that. He continually points away from himself and towards Jesus. Uh, so verse 23, he said, who do you, you know, what do you say about yourself? Who are you? He said, I'm just a voice. I'm the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord as the prophet Isaiah has said. I'm just a voice. Just forget who I am. Listen to my voice, which is pointing to who's coming. Now here, he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 40. And we just invite you to turn back to Isaiah. It's roughly kind of in the middle of your Bible, one of the big books there. So if you're struggling, uh, then just kind of open up about halfway through. The big numbers are the chapter numbers. The little numbers are the verse numbers. So Isaiah chapter 40. um, This is a passage which points forward to... Um, God's people were in exile and and this passage points forward to there is going to be an easing of your way home. You're going to be able to come home, back home to God. And, And yes, the passage speaks about exile from Jerusalem, but actually, like a lot of the prophetic passages, also points forward to an even deeper reality about that final and full restoration that God is going to bring. So let's read the first five verses of Isaiah 40. And we'll hear in verse 3, the the, the bit that John the Baptist quotes. Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And here's the quote. A voice cries in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up and every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. So John, who are you? John says, I'm just a voice crying out. God's coming. Hope is 
coming. Comfort is coming. Peace is coming. God's kingdom is coming. And then even in verse 5, the revelation of God's glory is coming. We've already been thinking about this in John chapter 1. The point is this. He said, it's not about who I am. It's not about who I am or what I'm doing. It's about the one that I'm pointing to who is going to bring the restoration and the rule and the reign of God. So it's not about me, John the Baptist says. And then, in the next few verses, back to John chapter 1, he goes on from saying, just, it's not about me, to saying, it's not about what I'm doing. So from verses 24 to 28 of our passage, the the question shifts from being about who John the Baptist is, to they want to know what are you up to, what are you actually doing here? And and they particularly want to know why is he baptizing people? Now we might want to know the same thing. It's a little curious, right? We know what we think of baptism, you know, after Jesus has been. But why was, you know, before Jesus came, why was John baptizing? Well, there was some practice of baptism among God's Jewish people. Uh, There were different types of practices. So, for example, um, there were some who, when if someone were, were to convert to Judaism... There would be a baptism in that moment to mark that particular uh, moment. Or there were some groups who actually observed a daily baptism because of some important Old Testament passages. So for example, in Ezekiel chapter 36, it says this, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols, I will cleanse you. It's an important passage. It goes on to say, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. Many of you have heard this passage. And in light of this, there were some who thought every single day, I'm going to have a baptism of sorts. Now, here's the difference. These two baptisms that I've mentioned that happened in different ways, people in those days would baptize themselves. It was something that you just did on your own as part of your devotion to God. So this is perhaps why these religious leaders come wanting to know, what are you up to? Why are you baptizing other people? And again, I think, I think what's going on here is they're wondering, is this some sort of statement of spiritual authority? Are you trying to set yourself up in some way that we should be concerned about here? Now, what's important to realize again is the way John responds to this question. He doesn't actually engage with their question at all. And again, I'm sure he could have entered in to a deep theological discussion with them at this point as to why he's doing what he's doing, the scriptural warrant for it and all the rest of it. But John doesn't do that. He doesn't even answer their question as to why he's doing what he's doing. What does he do? He just points back to Jesus again. Look at verse Uh, So verse 25, let's get the run in. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you're neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? He doesn't really answer them. He says, John answered, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. So earlier, as he quotes Isaiah, he's pointing to Jesus And the amazing work that Jesus is going to do. But here what he's pointing to is something different about Jesus. Here he's just pointing to the supremacy. The wonder of who Christ is. He says I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. 
Another name you're going to hear me mention a fair bit over the coming months is a guy by the name of Craig Keener, another New Testament scholar who wrote a commentary on John. Listen to what he writes about this. He says, the most demeaning tasks performed by a household servant involve the master's feet. Washing the feet, carrying sandals, or unfastening thongs of sandals. To do such work was to be a slave. And John's saying, when you think of who this Jesus is, I don't even merit that role. I don't even even merit being considered a slave of this Christ who is coming. He's just pointing away from himself again and towards Jesus. It's not about who I am, verses 19 to 23. It's not about what I'm doing, verses 24 to 28. It's about the majesty and the mission of Christ. Right? Here's my question for us. Is this true of Kintour Community Church? Is this how we live and breathe and operate? If you were, as it seems many of you have been doing over these months, given the growth that we've seen in the church family, if you're trying to encourage a family member, a friend, or or colleague to come around this church community so that they might find faith in Jesus, how how would you do that? What would be your way in to that conversation and that reality? What would it be that you would that you would highlight as to why someone should consider coming around this family of faith? A danger we need to be aware of as we reach out to this part of Scotland is that we would center our efforts to reach out to people on, firstly, a person or a group of people in this church family, whatever that might be. Might be a small group that you love your small group. Come and see the small group. Might be a worship leader. I mean, how blessed we are to have Derek and others who lead us in praise here week by week. Might be one of the pastors or one of the elders, or it might be a group of people that you're connected to in a particular ministry that you you love their passion for what they're doing and you and you want them to come and meet with those people. There is a danger that we can make people, personalities, the center of, of, of how we consider asking people to come be this, this family of faith. And it just strikes me as I'm speaking. We need to be careful of this as we think about praying for a Kintour pastor. That we don't want, whichever Kintour pastor we end up with, the, the key thing is not that this person is going to be awesome so that the church will grow. You know, it's such a danger for the church of Jesus Christ. How many times when you look across the history and even recent history of the church across the world that different personalities can become so important to a family of faith and it's a disaster when a personality or personalities are at the center of how we're inviting people to be part of this story of God that is unfolding, right? So we've got to be careful about... Groups of people or people being the center. But then also, we have to be careful to not let an aspect of the ministry of this church. Remember, John was pushing away, don't ask me about who I am, don't ask me about what I'm doing. And we need to be careful that we don't put the ministry of Contour Community Church at the very center. <laughs> that, this does happen. Uh, over the years, I have engaged with many people Uh, let let me not overstate that at least a few people who have come to faith in Jesus 
and have been so struck by the sense of family community that they have encountered. Now that's obviously a good and encouraging thing. We should want people to feel encouraged as they come around the church family. But there have been a few conversations I've had to have with people where I've had to say, listen, it's wonderful that you're feeling encouraged by the connection that you have to this church family. But just be careful not to make that the main thing. Don't hold on too tightly to that because here's the truth. We're going to let you down at some point. We're going to blow it. I'm going to blow it. I'm going to make you mad. Someone else is going to make you mad. And guess what, friend? You're going to make them mad as well. And we just need to remind ourselves of that. Don't put that, the blessing of church activity, community, don't put that at the center of what God is doing in your life. And what's the point? The point is very simple, but really hard to keep really central and fundamentally important, is that make sure Jesus Christ is at the very center of everything that Contour Community Church is about. That needs to be true for us. We had a great conversation in our staff meeting a few weeks ago. We're going through a podcast together and and the pastor was saying that the order of priorities that a church should uh, have in mind should be Jesus, community, mission. And we were having a good like sort of intellectual discussion about is that the right order and getting into, but I tell you what, you don't want to miss the, the, we did not disagree that Jesus should be first, but it's easy functionally, practically to miss this point. This is what we should be about. Not the lovely family feel. Not the undeniably exciting mission that God is calling us to. Not the sense of shared learning and family that we can engage in. But but these things are, are only significant and worthwhile to the degree that they make clear that Jesus Christ and his work and his rule and his reign and his splendor is at the very center of what Kintour Community Church is about. That's what John is doing in these verses. It's not about me. It's about the one in whom is true life, true hope, true restoration. It's not about what I'm doing, he's saying. I'm just baptizing with water. That's just a tiny little pointer towards this deeper act of cleansing that the the person of Jesus is going to do. And this is how we should think of our our ministry. You know, we're just offering a space here in this lovely village hall with the hard walls that make the singing sound so awesome. It's just a space that we're offering for people to come and meet Jesus. Our small groups are just that deeper community where we can know the fellowship of Jesus more closely as his people. Helping out at the local festival, school uniform drives, cooking meals for those struggling. These are beautiful ways to embody the love and the servant heart of Christ Jesus. Kids and youth fun evenings or Ignite are a chance to celebrate the abundant life that Jesus has given us. Alpha is an opportunity to understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer life about this community that we're in, about what God is calling us to as a church, about our future pastor, about the potential for a building, should all come back again and again to the glory and the love of Jesus. And I have to say, the prayers in this church, the prayer warriors, is so true. They always come back to the centrality of Jesus. I love it. It's awesome. Our heart for those in need around the world that we've been hearing about from people like Josh, but we're all connected into that story, is rooted in our cry 
along with John the Baptist, that ways would be made straight for Jesus' rule and reign to come in all its fullness, and so on and so on. We are to be about small acts that point to a big, wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Is that true of us? That all that we celebrate and aspire towards in this church family, that at the very center of all, that Jesus would be there. It was for John the Baptist, in terms of how he thought of himself and his ministry, may it be the case for us. Now we're coming to a close, but I don't want us to miss just some of what John points to about Christ. So we're going to rush through what from verse 29 onwards. He says, the next day he saw Jesus. Okay, we want Jesus to be the center. What does that mean? This is some of what we're getting to, okay? The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, behold. Again, he's doing the same thing. Look, away from us. Look, look, look. This is what Contour Community Church needs to be about. Look, 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 look. Okay? Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, this little phrase, the Lamb of God, it would have sparked all sorts of allusions and important concepts for God's people. Um, back in, in Genesis chapter 22, you remember Isaac asked his father, Abraham, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the Lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide the Lamb for the burnt offering. Right from the early you know, gathering of God's people. This idea of a lamb is coming, is there. Of course, we think of Isaiah chapter 53. A lamb led to the slaughter. Uh, so, so Jesus didn't open up his mouth again. You think of the Passover lamb that protected the people from the judgment of God. And the ongoing way that God said, remember the sacrifice that is needed to take away the sins of the world. A lamb is to be at the very center of all of that. John is saying, behold, here he comes. Here he comes. The lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Um, And then let's keep going. Verses 30 to 31. I'm not going to read them. John is again just highlighting in these verses Jesus' complete supremacy. I will read verse 32. Here he's highlighting the anointing that rests on Jesus. So verse 32. John bore witness. (laughs) Don't worry guys. The sermon's going to be over soon. I just got a low battery warning. (laughs) So... Verse 32, John bore witness. I saw the spirit descend from heaven like a dove and it remained on him. He's just saying this is no normal man. This is no passing ruler. This is someone who carries the anointing of God. In verse 33, John is talking about how Jesus will baptize us with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying in that, hey, if you want to get into the fullness of who God is, it's Jesus who will baptize you with his presence. It's Jesus who will immerse you in the wonder of all that God is. And then finally, in verse 34, John the Baptist highlights something uh, that John the Evangelist, the writer of this book, has already made clear to us about the authority of Jesus. Verse 34, and I have seen and borne witness that this is the either son or chosen one of God. There's a bit of debate about which is the best translation there, but the point is clear. This Jesus is awesome. He's the son of God. He's the chosen one of God. Listen to him. Come to him. John is saying, don't focus on me. Don't focus on my ministry. Focus on this wonderful Christ in all his majesty. 
Hudson Taylor, the famous English missionary to China, was once being introduced as the speaker at a large church in Australia. Not Hillsong, I'm guessing. Normally you hear large church in Australia, that's what you think. Uh, But not then. Uh, And the moderator of the service introduced the, the missionary Hudson Taylor, in the most eloquent and and glowing terms, he told the large congregation of all that Hudson Taylor had accomplished in China, and then as he invited him up onto the stage, introduced him as, this is our illustrious guest. And Hudson Taylor got up and got his Bible out and stood there at the pulpit, and he opened his message by saying, dear friends, I am the little servant of an illustrious master. And that's how we find ourselves now. That's how we should step into this week. Little servants of an illustrious master. I had a a great chat with uh, someone in the church family last week when I shared that quote at Hillview. And they were just saying... Just what a gift it is, how freeing it is that we don't need to be the illustrious master. We're just little servants and how encouraging that is for us. Because I don't know if you're anything like me and this person who was sharing with me, you just mess up and struggle and stumble all the time. Thank you, God, that we're just little servants pointing to you, Jesus, who is awesome. Think back to that opening video clip, the amazement of that story. How incredible these people didn't know who the queen was. Friends, that is just a dim, that story is just a dim reflection of the reality of how this world relates to Jesus. They have no idea who he is. And our little task as little servants of this illustrious Christ is to follow on from John the Baptist and say, Behold, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. How this world needs cleansed from the sin and evil and destruction in my heart and in our hearts and in this world. Contour Community Church, behold the Lamb of God. May he be at the center of everything that happens from this day forth and forevermore. Behold, the Lamb of God. Dear Lord, we worship you. We are so thankful for who you are. We are so thankful that we are just little servants of you, our illustrious, glorious, beautiful, majestic master. And we just pray, oh Lord God, that Jesus would be lifted high in the northeast of Scotland. The rule and the reign and the restoration of the kingdom of Jesus Christ would be known and embraced and accepted and surrendered to and advanced as your church goes forth from this place. We pray, oh Jesus, do an awesome work in our hearts now, in our lives this week, and in this region of Scotland. For your glory, we pray it. Amen.